Okay, uh, we'll put this verse up here. We'll see, uh, we'll see how long it stays. <clears throat> the crowds that went ahead of him, and these are referring the crowds that went ahead of Jesus. You guys have probably heard this on what we typically call Palm Sunday. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed. So we've got him in front of him and behind him, and they're shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. When Jesus entered, uh, entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred. They asked, who is this? The crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. God, would you just do the things today that you want to do in this place today? Okay, so we're entering into Easter season or Passover season. As a matter of fact, in the Jewish calendar, Passover begins tomorrow and it will go until next Tuesday, and it was an annual celebration. And Jesus actually entered into the city during Passover, during this, during this celebratory time. So we probably need to talk about it a little bit. Um, how many of you have studied Passover? You know a little bit about it. How many of you have heard it mentioned, but you're really not quite sure what it was all about? It, depending on how many hands I get, it's how quickly I can move along. How many of you want to learn a little bit about Passover today? Okay, for the four of you, thank you for the encouragement. Us four and no more. Okay. Um, the Israelites were slaves for 400 years in Egypt. Many of you know that about their history. And the Lord sent plagues upon the land, plagues upon the people, basically saying, if you don't allow my people to be freed, I'm going to continue to bring devastation because you're standing against the people that I've called. And so God was, was fighting for his own people. Now, in that, you finally get to the last plague, and many of you know it, and it was simply this, that if you didn't have blood either over your doorpost or on the threshold of your door, if you didn't have blood there, the firstborn in your family would pass away. It even says the firstborn of the livestock would pass away. I mean, all firstborns within the land were going to die. Now, it doesn't mean that only the Jews could have blood over their door. Anybody that by faith received this could have put blood over their door because God is willing to allow the blood to provide covering for all of us regardless of our ethnicity. But the Jews responded to that. And I think it's interesting because they took the branch and they dipped it in the blood. And as they began to put it on the threshold and on the doorpost, it's interesting because they were prophetically making the symbol of the cross and not even knowing what that was going to mean in their future. But you know the story. God delivered them from Egypt they went out into the wilderness, and 400 years of captivity came to an end. Now, God said to them, I'm starting a new calendar. Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> I feel like everybody's running behind. Let's start the new year right now. Let's just read. And so God reloaded. He said, this is the first day of your calendar. Right now, we're getting this started. And every year, I want you to celebrate what I've, got, what I've done for you. Now, remember, they're celebrating the fact that they've been delivered from slavery. 400 years of bondage, not being educated, not allowed to flourish in their gifts, 400 years of captivity. And God says, I want you to celebrate this on an annual basis. Now, there's several reasons why. First of all, it reminds us what God's done for us. Also, prophetically, they were continuing to celebrate something that was pointing to Jesus, and they didn't even know that at the time. So it was a look back to what God's done, but it was also a prophetic imagery for what was yet to come for them. I'll tell you, there's another reason. It's for their kids. So their kids could know that God was their deliverer and is their deliverer. Do you realize that if God did a miracle for your family 
before your children were born, if you don't rehearse that, if you don't remind them, if you don't share that with them, they're not going to be a part of it at all. All it takes is one generation not talking about what God's done, and the things of God can be completely forgotten. I was talking to John Pyron before the early service today, and John said that he had an opportunity a few years ago on a Wednesday night to visit a church while he was out of town on a, on a work trip in Georgia. And when he walked in, he noticed there was a glass case. And in the glass case was a cane, not a candy cane, but an actual cane to assist you when you're walking. And he's like, what's that for? And they said, five years ago, this person that we had prayed for was healed, and we hung that cane up so that we wouldn't forget that God heals the sick. God sets people free. I'm like, that's pretty cool. How many know that deer hunters like to mount their trophies? They love to do that. You walk over to visit and you're like, wow, you're a hunter. I can tell by all the beady little eyes that are staring at me while I sit here and visit with you. Do you know during the Azusa Street Revival, the turn of the century in the early 1900s in our nation, so many people were healed, they were hanging canes and crutches and wheelchairs. And it was like the decor of the church to remember what God's done. I don't know what it is about us, but we have short-term memory loss when it comes to the promises of God. We have short-term memory when it comes to the miracles that God's done for us. I mean, let's just kind of, let's stir it up. Let me ask you, how many of you know that God has done a miracle for you in your past? Come on, let's see it. That's a lot of hands. Of those of you that have your hands up, how many of you have ever faced another situation where you needed another miracle? Okay, all right. Those of you with your hands up, how many of you that have had a miracle that needed another miracle still wondered if it was going to come through the next time that you needed a miracle? Yeah, a lot of us. You see, miracles aren't experiential moments, and then we just hope that God still loves and God still cares enough to give us another moment. We live in the miraculous. We walk in it. It's our inheritance. Beth has been saying a lot lately that you're not strong enough to break the promises of God. God's promises are yes and amen, and you can't break that. And God won't break that. He can be trusted. So we celebrate. Anybody around here celebrate Christmas? About a few of us, okay. Remember when you were a kid? Okay, all right. Some of you do, all right. Remember when you were a kid and it seemed like Christmas was like 10 years apart? You know what I'm talking about? You celebrate Christmas, it's the best. The day after Christmas, you're like, Christmas is so far away. The month of July takes like 10 years to pass through. And if you have one of those parents that they did the countdown with you open the little door and you get a little peppermint every day, those last, those last 25 days, you might as well just drag me backwards through a, a keyhole. I can't take it anymore. When is Christmas gonna get here? Exactly. Now, exactly. Tadao gave me an amen in the form of an exactly. All right. I'm old now. I feel like Christmas just ended and that it's coming up. And I know it's April, but I feel like, I feel like if I can leave the lights on a little longer, then I'm just early going into the next Christmas season. How many know what I'm talking about? Do you ever not even want to put your Christmas tree away? You just want to carry it downstairs, fully loaded, set it, put a blankie over it, take the blankie off next year, and bring that bad boy back up and go, voila, right? You know what I'm talking about? I, I don't know what it is. For kids, it's so far. For us, it's so near and all that stuff. 
Passover could be the same way. It wasn't supposed to be an annual ritual. It was supposed to be a celebration. Lord said, I want you to remember what I've done for you. We encourage people when, you bapti- when, when you're baptized at our church, and not baptized into the church, but making the public declaration of your life in Christ, we're like, you need to schedule that as a big day. If, you, if, you're, if you've got friends coming in and relatives coming in to see you or your children get baptized, that needs to be a big day. You need to go barbecue afterwards. It needs to be a celebration. You need to jot it on your calendar so that next year you say, hey, son, you were baptized this time last year. Remember that? Remember that moment? Remember that legacy memorial stone that we're building from? We want to celebrate the big deals that God's done for us. We don't want to forget them. Not only do I not want to forget them, but I want my children to know them. Passover was so they would remember what God had done and they would look forward to what he was yet to do. Now, let me just kind of sum this up for a second. Jesus had been ministering for three years. His popularity was growing. After all, he fed the hungry and and cared for those that were broken. And people were drawn to him. And as he's got his disciples and they're getting ready to head into Jerusalem, he goes, hey, go get me me a a colt. I'll ride that donkey into into the city. By the way, it's one that's never been ridden before. Now, I grew up on my grandfather's farm. You don't ride a donkey or a horse that's never been ridden before. But I guess it works when it's Jesus because there's enough peace in him that he releases peace out of him. And he rides this donkey in through the eastern gate. Now, many of you know the story. On his way in, people were throwing their cloaks down and they were throwing palm branches down. Thus, the reason we tend to call it Palm Sunday. They didn't call it that, we do. But they're throwing palm branches down and cloaks down, and Jesus is riding this donkey in, and they're shouting all of this to him. Hosanna, which in the Greek literally means save us, save us. And then they say son of David. Now that tells me something. That tells me that they had enough discernment to recognize this is a descendant of King David. And because he's a descendant of King David, we want him to be our king. David's been promised that he would have a son that would be king. And if this is the son, we want him. Now, it doesn't mean that they understood he was a heavenly king. It doesn't mean that they understood that he was born of a virgin and that he would be crucified and die and on the third day raise again. It doesn't mean that. But they definitely understood that, wow, he's, he's a fulfillment to David. He's, in the, he's of the tribe of Judah. He could be our king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Adonai. We bless him. Hosanna in the highest heaven. This is a God moment. We want him. And Jesus enters the city and the whole place is stirred. Now, I think it's kind of interesting. If you know anything about Jerusalem, how many have read a little bit about the Eastern Gate? You know a little bit about the Eastern Gate. The eastern gate is the gate where the Messiah is supposed to come in when he comes to God's people. So he did. (laughs) 2,000 years ago, Jesus absolutely entered through the eastern gate. Uh, Not only is it called the eastern gate, it's also called the golden gate for the same reason. It's also called uh, the gate they called beautiful, the beautiful gate. Have you ever read in the book of Acts where it says that Peter and John were going to the temple and when they came to the, the gate called Beautiful, have you ever read that? There was a man there that was crippled and he was begging people. It was that same gate. It was the closest entrance to the temple, all right? Jesus knows the prophecies about him. He knows that the Messiah is supposed to come through the eastern gate. 
He knows that Ezekiel prophesied that the glory of God would enter through that gate, and there's no greater glory of God than Jesus. Jesus rides the colt through the golden gate, the beautiful gate, to everything that Scripture said would happen about him. Here's the king. Here he is. And when did he do it? He did it during Passover, during a celebration. Passover is a big deal. Did you know that every family at Passover were, were told to have a lamb? That they would kill that lamb to remind themselves of the lamb that had been slain when they were delivered from, from slavery in Egypt, but also without them knowing it, to prophesy of a lamb that was yet to come. They were, they were, every family was supposed to do that. Now, here's the problem. What if you don't have enough cash? What if you don't have enough cash to buy a lamb for your family? Jesus, God, Yahweh, wanted everybody to celebrate this moment. But what if financially you can't even afford to do it? Do you remember Malachi chapter 3, verse 10? I'm sure if you haven't read it, a preacher's had to say this in front of you before. God's people say, or God says to his people, you rob me. And they say, well, Lord, how do we rob you? And he says, tithes and offerings, you rob me. Now think about this for just a second. I grew up in the church, and I know what tithe is. I know it's 10%. I know why they, the tithe was 10%, because when, when Jacob declared that he would give 10% to God, this was before the, before the law was even written, that it was the king's share. Jacob was declaring, God, you're my king, I'm going to give you your share, and I know because I give you your share, you're always going to take care of me. So that's why it still applies today. Beth and I give our first 10% to God. As a matter of fact, here at Faith Chapel, we've even switched to the inflation version Bible. I don't know if you've seen that one at your local Christian bookstore. It actually asks for 17.3% just to adjust because God wasn't prepared for how bad inflation was going to be in our day. So we actually interpret that as the first 17.3%. Okay, I'm totally not at all, right? 10% is going to take care of it because God's our king. But it says that you robbed me of tithes and offerings. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always seen offerings as optional. I almost thought it was a synonym. I pay God his tithe, but it's up to me if I want to give an offering. That's an optional thing. How many of you know you can't rob someone of something that's option, somebody of something that's optional? If it was optional, it wouldn't be thievery. God said, you're robbing me of offerings, which leads to the question, what are the offerings? If, if we know what tithing is, what offering was God talking about? And as some of you know, because we've known each other for a long time, I had a friend, Messianic Jew, that walked me through some understanding. He said, do you want to know how we understand that verse? I said, I would love to know. He said, the offerings were the three offerings talked about in the Torah when, the, when God's people celebrated Passover, and then 50 days later when they celebrated Passover, uh, a Pentecost or Shavuot, and then in the fall when they would celebrate tabernacles or Sukkot. Those were celebrations, and not everybody had the money to celebrate. How many know it's not as much fun at the party if you can't participate? Even if, if it is your party, and you'll cry if you want to. Even if it's that way, isn't it more fun, let's just say it, when you can afford to buy the outfit? 
when you can bring as much food as you want to bring. You're not just the chip guy. Here's Brad again with the chips and the no-name brand salsa. Thank you so much, right? Isn't it more fun? And God's word, people from all over Israel were supposed to gather in Jerusalem three times a year. The first one every year was during Passover, not for a religious obligation. Hear me now. It was for a celebration. I want you to party. The problem is the Evans family might not have enough cash right now. And they're newlyweds, and they've got this new child, and that could be the case. And the Lord says, hey, when you come, I want you to have enough that you can share. So make sure that you take care of the Evans family when you gather so that they, so that they can participate too. Make sure that you bless them. If I were you, I'd put that in my pocket. Otherwise, it's just an illustration. I just give it to Carrie. You give it to Carrie. Good man. Good man. He's growing, guys. He's growing. Problem was, they were robbing God of offerings. They were celebrating Passover, but they really didn't care that the Evans family didn't have enough cash that year. And the Lord said, don't do this. I want everybody to celebrate because it's, it's celebration and it's more than celebration. It's remembering what God's done. Now, here's another one of the challenges. If you live 100 miles from Jerusalem and you know everybody's going to Passover to celebrate and everybody needs a lamb, how many know you better take your own lamb with you? B-Y-O-L. <laughs> Bring your own lamb, right? Because there's not going to be enough when you get there. So a good family would be prepared for that. And let's say you got the Arnold family, Team Arnold. And Adam's like, he is aware. They live 80 miles away from Jerusalem. They budget everything. And they plan for this all year long because they want to go and celebrate with everyone. It is a festive time. And we remember the goodness of God. And they have examined the lamb and it's blemish free. And he feels good about going to the celebration. Well, he gets there. It's time to celebrate. Problem is, religion gets involved. It usually does when pastors get introduced into situations. Adam and his family, the first thing they do when they get to Jerusalem is they go to the temple and they go to the high priest. And the high priest has his inspectors to look at their lamb to make sure it really is blemish free. Because God's word says it's supposed to be a blemish free lamb. So they're going to inspect that thing thoroughly. And oh my goodness, Adam, I'm so sorry. I know you've traveled a long way, but I, I, we found a blemish on your lamb. This one is not acceptable for Seder. It's not acceptable for Passover. And, and Adam responds like any dad. He's like, but we're here to celebrate. It's, think about it with us being Christmas. It's Christmas. We've got all the gifts. We're ready to, we're ready to go for it. And he's like, we're here to celebrate. I'm, I'm, I know, I'm sorry. I appreciate your commitment to the Torah, but I, we just can't accept that lamb. Well, well, what am I going to do? Well, okay, I'll tell you what. We know that this happens. Not everybody's inspected their lamb as thoroughly as they should. And because of that, we have a few that we've kept here. I'll tell you what, go ahead and trade that lamb in. We'll give you one of these lambs plus, what, 15 shekels? And we'll call it even. And Adam says, you've got to be kidding me. 15 shekels is everything that we brought to be here for the week. Uh, we can't afford that. And the priest said, I tell you what, you're, you're, you're worshiping him because we don't say his name. You're worshiping him. I'll give it to you for 10 
And Adam looks at his family, and they're like, Dad, we're, we're here. We came all the way here. And he said, okay, we'll make it work. I don't know how we're going to make it work, but we'll make it work. And so he trades in his lamb, and they trade, and they get a blemish-free lamb. But the problem is there's so much corruption in the priesthood that the next person, David Blau, walks up to the priest with his lamb, and it too isn't approved. And we work, he's a better negotiator. He gets it down to seven shekels. But you know what the priest does? He goes back and he gets the lamb that Adam just traded in that everybody said wasn't good enough, and he gives it to the Blau family. And the priests were ripping off the people. A moment that was supposed to be a celebration of the goodness of God became a corruption of the systems of men. So, you know what you do during Passover? You clean your house out of yeast. It's one of the things you do. You get the yeast out of the house. You don't have any yeast in your house anywhere. Everything has to be kosher. Now, it wasn't supposed to be as religious as it's been made today, where ascetic Jews will take everything out of their house, clean their entire house, and clean every piece of furniture as they bring it back in. It was never supposed to be legalism. Never. Because it was supposed to symbolize that God makes us new. That he takes something that was formerly filled with yeast and corruption, a little leaven, and he, he makes us a brand new batch of dough and we start fresh. That's what it was supposed to symbolize. So every person in their family, they would clean out their house to represent what God was doing for them. What did Jesus do when he came into the city? He got off that donkey and he immediately went to the steps of the temple where the money changers were taking advantage of the Arnolds and the Blaus and everybody else that was coming to worship. And what did Jesus do? He flipped the tables over. Shekels went flying everywhere. And he said, you den of thieves, this is a house of prayer. He got rid of the yeast. He didn't want yeast in his house. He didn't want yeast in his house at Passover. This is a moment of celebration. It's a moment, a moment of purity. It's not a moment of corruption. He cleansed the house. You know what happened after he did? And I've heard people say to me, Pastor Brad, Jesus obviously lost control in his anger. Jesus sinned in his anger. If Jesus sinned, then we're all going to hell. He didn't sin. He flipped the tables over, not the priest. I'm not saying he didn't want to flip the priest over. But he knew that religion blinded them too. Kept them from seeing what they were supposed to see. Flipped the tables over, not them. You know what's so amazing about this? As soon as Jesus flips the tables over, it says they brought people to Jesus that were sick and needed healing. Is that the guy you would have chosen? <laughs> Flipping the tables over. Hey, let's take the blind to him. But they did. They immediately began to bring people to Jesus, and he received them. And you know what he did? He healed them. I guess he wasn't out of control in his anger. I've learned that when I'm out of control in my anger, I don't really operate in the gifts that God's given me. If Jesus would have been out of control in his anger, there's no way he would have healed people. But they brought people to him, and he healed the sick. You know who, who came to him next? Children. Little children began to gather around. And they came to Jesus, and they wanted to be near him. And Jesus began to bless the children. How many know that children are fairly discerning? They tend to know. They know who makes them comfortable, and they know who makes them uncomfortable. We don't read that they ran to the high priest for the high priest's blessings, but they sure came to Jesus to receive everything that Jesus had. for. Them. They loved him. The broken came to him. They loved him. The children came to him. They loved him. 
I think there's a correlation with the Passover. Do you know that when you picked out a lamb to, to, that was going to be a sacrifice for your family during this celebration, do you know that that lamb was supposed to stay with you for four days? Do you know that? You brought it into your home. You brought it right into the house. They didn't have carpet, so we didn't have to worry about that. They'd sleep with it. The kids would play with it. I mean, it was, it, was the, it was the family lamb. How many know it doesn't take four days for your children to form an emotional bond with a lamb? You can go to a petting zoo. When we've taken Sophia to the petting zoo when she was little, I'm like, I hope one of them bites her because then we won't have to deal with the emotional scar of leaving them all behind. I'm sorry, I never wanted them to, to bite her, never. But how many you get, you're not a dog person, but puppies are still cute. You're not a cat person, but when you see them do that, you're like, oh, it's just precious. It's so precious, right? You know what I'm talking about? And it's just, how many of you have ever had like a gerbil or a hamster die and you didn't want to tell your kids? So you replaced it with a similar looking gerbil and you hope that they just never figured it out. All right? You didn't want, you called the, the counselor at school. Can you help me walk my child through this emotional devastation of losing a hamster or a tadpole? Hey, did you not have pet tadpoles? Okay. Yeah. You did? Shiloh did. Shiloh's got a whole zoo up in Winfield, to be quite honest with you. So we always, we only had frogs like right before 4th of July. Some other guys in the room can figure that out. There is nothing like prying those lips apart and just putting a little cracker in there and putting them in a mailbox and hoping for the best. Uh, there's... It, uh, not that I would ever recommend that. I'm sure there's some Unabomber tendencies in all of us if we admit it. But anyway, so you, you get it. Can you imagine your children have formed this incredible bomb? Uh, bomb. <laughs> Freudian slip. I'm kind of going back to my childhood. And God's been really good to me, just to let you know. He's been really good to me. But I, forming this emotional bond with this lamb, and then it's time... It's time to kill it. It's, it's, it's time to kill. I mean, can you even imagine? Can you imagine the parents that covered the, the heads of their children when Jesus went walking through the streets with the cross over his back and he's been beaten almost beyond recognition? I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable that all that Jesus did for us, the lamb that was slain. I don't know if you know this, I, I just find it interesting, it's just a little small thing I'll share with you, but um, the high priest every year during Passover would have one lamb that was kind of the symbolic lamb, he was the first one to slit the throat of the lamb, to, to kill the lamb, and then every household knew that they could then prepare their lambs for their celebration, but you know what he would say right after he killed the lamb? It is finished. I find that remarkable because Jesus was on the cross and Jesus was the lamb that was sacrificed but we also know he's more than the lamb, he's the high priest that made his own sacrifice. He put himself on the cross, nobody took his life, he gave his life and he said it is finished and he surrendered himself. And when they came to, to break his legs, I know it's disgusting, but that's what they came to do because 
crucifixion, you suffocated, and prisoners would push up on the spikes to try to get a gasp of air. And so if they wanted it to end more quickly, the soldiers would come and break their legs so that they, they just couldn't do that. But scripture said about Jesus, it was prophesied that as the Messiah, he would suffer, but not one bone would be broken. And so when they came to him, he had already surrendered himself. So rather than breaking his, his, his legs, as you know, one of the soldiers stabbed him in the side and it said that the remainder of the blood and his, just the fluid from his body drained. I think it's appropriate because the lambs were drained of all of their blood so that it could be placed over the doorpost and the threshold to celebrate the fact that God had freed them from Egypt. And I want you to know, he shed everything that he did not to pull you out of Egypt, but to pull Egypt out of you. You're no longer a slave. You're no longer an idolater. You're no longer cursed to live a life where you never get to be what he's called you to be. He opened the gates. He came through the eastern gate. Do you know that Islam believes so much in the power of the eastern gate that a few hundred years ago, they even put concrete in that gate all the way up to the peak, 16 feet tall to the peak. They, they, they literally formed it in concrete because they're so worried about the Messiah coming through it. On top of that, they started a, they, they literally have a cemetery just outside the eastern gate because supposedly, according to the Torah, a high priest can't be anywhere near a dead body. And they la the last thing they want is for the Messiah to come in. I want you to know whether he goes through there again or not doesn't really matter. He's already been through there. He is the Messiah. I also have to tell you, if he's been in heaven preparing a place for you and me, I don't think we have to worry about concrete keeping him out. I just don't think it's that big a deal. We need to rehearse the things of God. We need to celebrate. We try to apply this as a church quite literally. Um, God says that there needs to be food in his house for the poor. And every year during the Easter season or Passover season, we always encourage you during Passover, Pentecost, and Tabernacles. And if you ever say, PB, every time I turn around, you're promoting an offering. Have you noticed that any offering I promote is for the poor? It's, it's not for us. And I just ask you, during this season of, of, of Passover, and some of you might even be able to do it today, but you just say, Lord, what do you want me to give for the poor so that there's food for them too? And literally, whatever comes in, and I just, on ours, I just write Passover offering on it, and I designate a little bit of our, of, of our giving for this week. We've got God's tithe, and I put it there, but we give a little bit extra for Passover. And you know what we do as a church? We take half of that Passover money, and we send it literally to a ministry that is helping the poor in Jerusalem. Now, we do that intentionally. You could say, PB, there's poor people everywhere, and the answer would be, you are correct. But I'll tell you why, why Jerusalem. Because their interpretation of Malachi was that it was for the poor in Jerusalem. Genesis 12, God said this to Abraham. Abraham, I've chosen you. And everyone that blesses you, I'm going to bless. And everyone that curses you, I'm going to do what? I'm going to curse. I think it's interesting. When you read it in the original Hebrew, 
It literally would say it this way. Anyone who bows down to make you great, Abraham, God said, I too will bow down to make them great. That's remarkable. It doesn't mean that God's bowing down to worship them. It means he's bowing down to lift them to his level. He is raising them up. So God's word says, if we bless Abraham, bless his descendants, bless the Jews, God will bless us. It also says he'll curse those who, cur who curse Abraham. Now, I think it's interesting because the Hebrew word for curse, it's different. Literally, it says this, those who slight you, like, have you ever walked up into a circle and somebody turned their shoulder so you couldn't get in the circle? Isn't that just a miserable feeling? Just to be slighted? Wasn't direct, they didn't yell at you, they didn't scream at you, they just pretended that you weren't even there, right? Those, God's word says, those that slight you, I will, and the Hebrew word is roar against. Now, I don't know what you think about Israel's politics, but I'll tell you this, when God's chosen a nation, regardless of their politics, have, has anybody happened to observe that that little sliver of land in the Middle East surrounded by everybody that hates them continues to be blessed, continues to prosper, continues to be anointed, and the whole world goes, how, why? And I'll tell you, because God said, I will bless you and make you great. So we take half of the Passover offering and we literally send it to Jerusalem because it does two things. One, we bless what God's blessed, Israel. Two, we give to need and we give to the need in Israel. PB, what do you do with the other half of the offering? That's a great question. We use it here to help those that are, that are in need in our own community, the poor, the broken. When people are going through a season where they just need a little bit of help. We use that money to help them. I will tell you this. I've pastored here for almost 20 years. It's crazy. I will tell you this. As an elder board, when we felt like this is what God wanted us to do, and we partnered with this, I guess it's been about five years ago. When we partnered with this, it changed the whole generosity and the DNA of Faith Chapel. We're not the same church. God, through, through this, he, the financial blessing on this church is crazy. I remember last year hearing of a church that was in need with their mortgage payment and being able to share that with the board, and the board said, well, let's make it. And without even thinking about it, they made the $5,000 mortgage payment. It was for Noel Kenny's church in Dublin, Ireland. They were in need. Our board said, well, let's just make the payment. The next day, we transferred the money, and we made their mortgage payment for them. And I remember thinking to myself at the time, our church doesn't even own its own building. And I have leaders that'll pay for another church's building payment. That's the kind of people I want to be connected to. I want to be connected to a group of people like this. You know what? A few years ago, we didn't have the money to be able to do that. It, and I know that part of that is making sure we meet the needs of the poor and meet the needs of the broken. It's changed everything. It's just absolutely changed everything. And I want to encourage you. We don't like set a huge goal for this one. Hey, we want to do 50,000, 60,000. All we do is say, what would God have you to do? And let's minister to the people and let's minister to the needs that they have. All right? I've been rambling for a while. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll start summing this thing up, which as you know means what? Nothing. 
No, it means we'll start summing it up. If Jesus is really our Passover lamb, and Pastor Brad hasn't just been creative in trying to put this together, if Jesus is really our Passover lamb, hopefully we can find a scripture that will tell us that that's the case. Oh, well, looky here. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. Therefore, let us keep the festival or the celebration not with the old bread leavened with, or excuse me, let's, for Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, the celebration, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So Paul is connecting all of this together for us. He goes, we celebrate now. We celebrate that the price has been paid for us. And just like our people were brought out of, out of Egypt, now Egypt's been brought out of us. And we're not who we used to be anymore. Man, somebody can look at you and say, man, you're the same old person you ever were. You got the same humor. You, you carry yourself the same way. You've got the same temperament. We're not judged by our temperament and by our humor. We're judged by the work that Jesus did for us. He moved into my life. He's completely changed me. The old yeast has been removed. Now, because it has been removed, I want to partner with what God says that I am. I don't turn away from sinful acts because I'm a sinner. No, it's because I'm a saint that I turn away from sinful acts. Now, I'm going to go there. I'm going to offend everybody that loves amazing grace. I know, I know. I enjoy this song. But when we sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I want you to know he doesn't see us as a wretch anymore. He just doesn't see us that way. And I think we live too much of our life looking back at what we used to be rather than recognizing I have been completely transformed. I am heaven born. I have new DNA. God's word says that in Christ I have been made completely new. The Greek word is kainos. Kainos was a word that was used because they didn't even really know how to describe who we were. They're like, you're so new, you're like part earthly and part heavenly. You're like this beautiful hybrid of God. Whoa. How many of you have ever been called a hybrid? You were in Corinthians because Paul couldn't think of the word. You're not a wretch anymore. You're not a sinner anymore. God's word, there are even times where when you start a letter and it says, to the saints in Christ Jesus. Well, who are the saints? Well, those are the ones that have been in church long enough and they've already had membership and they're the ones that all of us look up to because they just get right and they look a lot like Jesus right before they die. No. You know who a saint is? A prostitute that gave her life to Christ. The moment that Jesus comes in, she goes from excluded to included. She goes from prostitution to prophet. She goes from darkness to light, from captive to free. Do we believe that Jesus saves people or don't we? I mean, he saves us. He liberates us. So I put off the ways of malice and the ways of wickedness because that's not who I am anymore. You know, Beth has great language. And I don't mean she doesn't cuss because she does that regularly, but... <laughs> But she, she is so deliberate in her language that at times if I've been short-tempered, she'll say, I'm surprised you said that because that's not who you are. 
That's not who you are. And that kind of language really, it changed me. Like, you're right, that isn't who I am. It's not who I am at all. And when you, when you put on misdeeds of darkness, anybody else ever go, I can't believe I did that, it's not who I am. The, the choices that you, you're not just a conglomeration of the choices that you make. You're in the sense of the challenges that you face in life. But you're not defined by your behavior, you're defined by the blood of the Passover lamb. And the blood of the Passover lamb says, put off wickedness and malice and walk in sincerity and truth. Let's start wrapping this thing up. When I think about this, my mind goes back to the temple with Jesus and the money changers because they had turned something that was so beautiful into malice and wickedness. They were taking advantage of others. They were using it for their own personal gain. When you've got a family that comes in for a sincere moment of celebration and somebody takes advantage of them. Church, I want to challenge you. Are we going to be religious or relational? And do we recognize that when somebody comes into the kingdom, they're instantly transformed, but it might take a while for the behaviors to line up. And we need to be patient. I'll throw this at you. I know it's crazy, but you might need to be as patient with them as Jesus has been with you. I think one of the, the tough things about new believers is their sins are out in front of you. They're just right there. But with people that have been believers for a while, our sins tend to be a little more private. Probably because God's helped us work through a lot of this stuff, but now we're really getting to the matter of the heart. I remember I had a pastor before we started going to Christian chapel when I was 13. Thank God mom moved us over there. We were in just like one of the most legalistic churches in Columbia you could ever be in. I mean, the pastor would say, if you smoke cigarettes, you're going to hell. I was like, wow, the unpardonable sin, the smoking of a cigarette. I mean, you smell like hell, but it doesn't really mean that you're going to go to hell, right? Now, I, and I, and he would, I mean, literally would say that, and yet, <laughs> I was in enough church meetings as a kid to hear the gossip and the slander. I remember that same pastor, I've told this story before, but there was an African-American family that started visiting the church. And I remember that same pastor after their third week there identified them. I mean, when you're the only African-Americans in a whole congregation, it kind of stands out. And I remember him telling them that there would be a better church for them, for, for their people. That guy would say from the pulpit, if you smoke, you're going to go to hell. And yet I would say, no, there's the issue. It's not about smoking and chewing and tattooing and ear ringing and this or that. What's coming out of our heart? Dear God, help us to be people of sincerity and truth. Are you willing to celebrate with the addict when he's been clean for five days? And say, come on! That's awesome. And if he blows it on the sixth day to say, let's get right back up and let's keep going forward. I mean, are we willing to do that? It's messy. The kingdom of heaven's messy. Are you willing to admit that? It is. Next thing you know, you have people singing gout, gout, let it all out. <laughs> it's, it's just weird and unusual. I'll close with this. When Jesus stood before 
I, I told you that the house had to be cleaned of the yeast, that Jesus had to be accepted by the children, and he was. The little lamb was accepted. It is finished, you, all of that. But you know, one of the things that, that would be done is the priests would examine the lamb. And I've already told you how they took advantage of the system. But do you realize that when Jesus was in Jerusalem, they examined him? Have you ever read that in Matthew 21 and Matthew 22? They, they had on their, their prayer shawls. Have you ever seen the prayer shawl? I'm not saying you can't use it if you want to use it when you're praying. I mean, if you want to use that to connect, that's great. But they had on their prayer shawls, and they've got these tassels that hang from them. They call them seat seats. And every one of them represent a, uh, uh, one of the commands in the Torah. And they represent the, the first five books of the Bible. And, and these leaders would sit around and they would hold these tassels in their hand and representing all the commands of God. And I'm meditating on the commands of God. And, and they would say things like, well, what do you think the greatest commandment is? And then they would argue back and, well, what about this one? Well, what? So when Jesus comes up, it's not unusual that they would test him and they would say, hey, teacher, rubbing these things. Hey, teacher, what do you think the greatest commandment is? What did Jesus say? Hear, O Israel, Lord thy God is one. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. It, it's not about all of the individual things that you think it is. It's about a heart por, a posture of love toward God. And then Jesus gave, us, gave them bonus material they didn't even ask for. Remember what he said? Oh, and the second one is like it. Love your neighbors, you love yourself. And they're like... Well said, teacher. Well said. How about when the zealots came up to him? The zealots and the Essenes, they couldn't stand the Herodians. My goodness. You've got zealots that can't stand the Herodians and the Herodians that can't stand the zealots. The Herodians want taxes to be paid to the Roman government and the zealots don't. And they came up and they say, hey, this coin, are we supposed to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus says, let me see that. Whose image is it? It's Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what's Caesar's and give to God what's God's. And both groups went, good answer. Then the Sadducees came up. The Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees only believed in the anointing of the first five books of the Bible. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's all, that, that's all they believed was anointed. And they came to him and they said, hey, teacher, according to the law... This guy and his wife, they were married, and he died. And because they didn't have any kids, his brother was required to marry her. How many of you are thinking already that's disgusting? Because your brother-in-law makes you sick at Christmas. You know what I'm talking about? His, his brother was required to marry her so that the family name could continue. Problem was they didn't have any kids either. Boom, 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 right down to the seventh. She was married to these seven brothers. All of them died. None of them had any children. Whose wife is she going to be in the resurrection? And Jesus goes, you're in error because you don't know the scriptures. Now, how many know you don't say that to a Sadducee without aggravating them? You're in error, you don't even know the scriptures. Jesus said, in heaven, it's different. You'll be like the angels. You'll neither be married nor given in marriage. But let me remind you of this, that when God spoke to Moses, he said, I'm the God of your fathers, the God of who? Abraham, Isaac. And Jacob, because he's not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living. Even the Pharisees went, woohoo! Great answer, Jesus. He was tested and he's been proven. And I end with that to say this others have tested him and found him to be true. Gates have been opened, 
Addictions have been destroyed. Reconciliation has been given. Are all of us getting an alert? Let's just take a moment. It's in Blue Springs, Missouri. All right, so. It is amazing, isn't it? We're not controlled at all. Excuse me. All right, we, we're not prompted at all. But God help them find that person in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We just release angels to help find that person and protect that child in the name of Jesus. Amen. He's been tested. He's been proven. And if you'll, t if you'll try, you'll find that Jesus is really more than enough for you. Amen. Let's stand together. Let's bless you guys. I, I end holding this card to encourage you. If you know someone that's broken and they're hurting, bring them next week. We, we will lay hands on them. We will pray for them. I'll tell you this right now. We won't push them over. We won't, we won't spit on them unless the Holy Spirit tells us to. No, I'm sorry. I won't even, I can't imagine that he would do that. But we, we, won't, we won't freak them out except for the fact that praying for some people is a little different. But we will pray for the broken and the hurting next week and we'll show them that Jesus really is the resurrection and the life. He can be trusted. And I want you to know if you've been evaluating him for a while yourself, listen, don't be a Pharisee or a Sadducee and sit on the sidelines and miss out when the children are smart enough to run and grab hold of him. Grab hold of Jesus. You'll never be the same. You'll never be the same. God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you that you've paid the price for us. I thank you that for several hundred years it was prophesied that a Passover lamb would come and he would change us from the inside out so that we could be made new. No longer filled with malice and wickedness, bondage, brokenness, but made sincere and truthful and changed. I just thank you for that. I thank you, Jesus, for what you've done. I pray that you will flow through us here at Faith Chapel to meet the needs of some people you dearly love on the streets of Jerusalem today. There are some people there. We don't know one of their names, but our 50 and 75 and $100, you're going to use it to meet a need that they have, and you're going to use it to draw them closer to you, and I thank you for that. I also thank you that we get to rehearse the things of God. And I pray over every family here that they would take the challenge of rehearsing what you've done for them. With nobody looking around for just a moment, I'm just simply going to ask, is there anybody in this place today that you, you would just say, yeah, PB, I want to ask Christ to be the Lord of my life. I, I want to be a Christ follower. I want to take this step forward with Jesus today. If that's you, would you just lift up a hand wherever you are? And you're just saying, Pastor Brad, I want to accept Jesus. God bless you. Is there anybody else you want to follow Christ? Today's your day. Today's your day of salvation. Jesus gives the invitation so many different ways. Sometimes he says, hey, come follow me. The kingdom of heaven is yours. Sometimes he says, follow me. I'm going to teach you how to fish for people. But the invitation is always there to follow, just to follow him. Is there anybody else? You're like, yeah, Pastor Brad, I want to follow him. 
I want to follow him. Okay. Would all of you pray with me with this wonderful person today that is giving her life to Christ? Would we all say this together? Just say, Heavenly Father, I believe in you and the gift of your son. And Jesus, you gave me the invitation to follow you. And you paid the price so that I can. So in Jesus' name, I accept you. I will follow you. Make me new from the inside out. I am yours. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you that you make us new. We bless her today. Bless her. Fill her with your Holy Spirit. Just do great things in her life today. Oh, we thank you for that, Jesus. Amen. All right, I'm closing. Rather than just speaking a blessing over you today, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. All right? Is it still beeping a little bit? Okay, because I was really starting to worry about myself. So I just want to, all right. Um, I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. And parents, this really falls on you. At some point this week, sit down with your children and at least bring them up to speed on one miracle that God's done for your family so that you can have a moment to remember it and to celebrate it. Would everybody do that? Bring them up to speed. And if you're like, PB, we've got more than one, I think it'd be great if you had the whole evening to talk about it. Bring them in to some things, even things that God did before they were here. How many know that your children do not believe that life existed before they were born? It, it's just humanity. It's just the way we are, okay? I remember when my grandma turned in her like, late 60s. I'm, I'm like, Grandma, wow, you've been here. It was dirt here as long as you've been. Anybody, all that stuff? It's crazy. All of us have a tendency to think it started when we started. He's Alpha and Omega, Bring them in on some of the things God did for you before, before the finite ones were created and invest into them so they can build faith for their future. Bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. We'll see you soon. God bless you.